You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. We love the Word of God, don't we? It's so important to us. It's one of the core values. We've got a list of core values that are on our website, and uh, core values are simply kind of the banks of the river, right, that kind of keep the river flowing so we don't get out of control or kind of flood over or whatever. And uh, the very first core value is that we honor the Word of God here at the Gateway Church. And we honor it as the standard for our living, that what we hear, what we learn out of God's Word, it is what guides us and leads us, and it makes the difference. And it's the standard. And it's interesting that when you start to study the Word, you start to study the Gospels in the New Testament and the life of Christ, uh, we want to encourage you to read and reread these stories, and they will come alive. But when you look at the New Testament in particular, when the early church was being established, what we notice is that there's a pattern of the first century church. They devoted themselves to four different things. Number one was the teaching of the Word, which we uh, make a priority here. We're going to keep the Word of God the priority, right? Number two, they committed themselves to pray. And we've got an opportunity for you to pray with us on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. We say it's the most important hour of the week. And I know, especially those of you that have uh, kids, students in the kids ministry, or the youth ministry, come bring your kids, hang out for a little bit, and then pray from 7 to 8. It'll make a difference. The third thing is that they, they worked on fellowship. They met together daily. They, they kick our butts. I mean, we, we don't hang out with each other hardly at all outside of church, right? I mean, maybe a few times a week uh, at the most uh, for some families. There's others of you that are like, yeah, I've never hung out with anybody outside of church. And I get that. And that's why connect groups are so important. But they committed themselves to fellowship. And then the fourth thing, if you uh, know Scripture, is they committed themselves to the Lord's Supper, to the Lord's Table, Holy Communion. They partook of that every time they met. And today, we're studying in the book of Mark, chapter 14. We're going to look at the very first communion story. And depending on your background, sometimes first communion comes out of confirmation or catechism. Uh, Some people call it holy communion. Others call it the Lord's Supper. Uh, We're going to call it communion for for today. And I mentioned earlier, we want to slow down. And uh, some of you are like, well, I know what communion is, or I've done it, you know, a hundred times, or we do it once a month, don't we, here at the church? And yes, we do. Um, But I want to do this justice in in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 starts off, we preached a couple weeks ago, with the story of Jesus being anointed at Bethany. And remember Mary, she breaks open the alabaster jar, pours out the, uh, the, uh, the perfume, and it just fills the whole room. She's anointing Jesus for burial. And then uh, and we asked ourselves a couple weeks ago about our own love, our own worship for the Lord uh, being poured out. And then Mark, in his typical Markian fashion, I don't know if that's even a word, a word but in the, the Gospel of, 
of Mark, it, he uses the word immediately so many times, and it's like very fast-paced and just kind of going from one thing to the next. And so Mark goes from this dinner party right to Judas uh, betraying Jesus and slipping away, going to the chief priest and uh, selling out, really. And then we come right back to the story in verse 12 of the Passover and into the first communion. And that's what we're going to focus on. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 14. We'll start in verse 12. It says, And on the first day of the unleavened bread, when when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house and the teacher, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city and found it just as they had been told. And they prepared for the Passover. Everybody say Passover. Then... When evening came, the twelve gathered, and they were reclining at the table and eating with Jesus. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to, to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man is, goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. And then he moves right into this communion, the first Lord's Supper. And it says, And while they're eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he gave it, and he gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that these stories interwoven, Lord, would just come alive today. And Lord, I know that it's a familiar passage to some, but Lord, I pray that you would speak through it. And Lord, help us today to apply these truths, help it to make a difference in our lives. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. The, this account, this is the, the Last Supper before Jesus was, uh, uh, you know, gone to trial and then on the cross. Uh, it's interesting that all four Gospels talk about this story. In John, he adds in his account the washing of feet, that Jesus washed the disciples' feet, which is kind of cool. But it's interesting that in Luke's account, so not in Mark's, but in Luke's account, it says that Jesus had been looking forward to this meal with his disciples. In fact, it says in Luke twenty-two fifteen, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And it kind of made me pause and say, why was Jesus so eager, so desiring to do this? What was it? Well, Jesus knew how monumental this 
supper, this dinner party was going to be for the church. It was that same night that he'd be arrested and then ultimately crucified. And again, why was it so important? Well, within the story, within the narrative here, what Jesus does is Jesus closes the book on the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, and simultaneously, he opens up a new book, the New Covenant, and what happens is Jesus takes Passover that had been celebrated for hundreds of years and now instituted a new ordinance of communion. And it's, we see the first communion here. But before we get to communion, let's talk about what they were celebrating, Passover. And I know for some you grew up in the church and you know what Passover is, but let's just talk about some of the, the basics here. It was a feast that was commanded for Jews, for the Israelite people, God's people, to observe. And the root of the story was being that they were delivered from the slavery in Egypt and ultimately delivered into the promised land. And as the story goes, there are two main characters. There's Pharaoh and there's Moses. Pharaoh is ruling over Egypt and Moses is ruling or leading the people of Israel. And there's a showdown, right? And uh, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, hey, let my people go. That's what God says, right? And over and over, Pharaoh says, says, no, no, no. There were 10 plagues, and it escalated to the final plague that, that there was the death of every firstborn son for the Egyptians. The Israelites were able to skirt that or get away. They, their sons were not killed because they were instructed to take a lamb, put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost, and then the death angel would come, pass through the night, and pass over those with the blood covering their doorpost or their household. And that's why they call it the Passover. Everyone say Passover, right? How many have heard that story before? You have some familiarity with that, right? And I do too, and I've read this, and I've, and I've read through Scripture, and I understand the, what the Passover is rooted in. But then I started to think about it and meditate on this. And I was just curious if we could do a little uh, exercise together. See, in Exodus chapter 14, when it talks about the Passover, it says this. The Lord says that at about midnight, that the Lord, the death angel, would go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn son in Egypt would die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the slave girl who has her hand on the mill. And it's interesting. I thought, let's just represent Egypt here this morning. If you are a firstborn son, I want you to stand right where you are. If you are a firstborn son, oh yeah, we got a bunch of them here. On the night that this would have happened, you would not have made it if you were an Egyptian. Now just stay standing here for a second. And then it goes on to say that the firstborn of all the cattle as well. And I was thinking, the cattle, okay, we're not in a farming community here, but how many of you have pets in your house, all right? All right, a bunch of you guys have pets, and, uh, you know, so you got a bunny or a dog or a cat or things like that. If you have a pet in your house, 
And uh, I just want you to stand to represent what it says here, that the firstborn cattle, that, that your pet would not be breathing in the morning. If you're fish, it'd be floating upside down, right? Your, your bunny is gone. Your, your not, you know, I don't, does anybody have a cow? That'd be kind of cool. That real? All right, no. All right, okay. Then one more. Just stay standing here. If you are here and you are a parent, and I, not all the parents, this won't apply to everybody, but if you are a parent and you have a son, so sorry, Tim, you're out. You know, no, no luck for you. Although, I mean, it's not too late, man. I mean, who knows? But anyway, uh, but if you have a son and you are a parent, I want you to stand as well because you've lost your son uh, in that. And so look at this. The majority of us, now imagine that you're in Egypt, And then look what it says in Scripture. It says, there would be a loud wailing throughout the Gateway Church. Can you imagine if everyone that was standing was gone or someone close to you was gone? How crazy would that be? It says that the wailing would be worse than has ever been seen or ever would be again. You can be seated. There would be a weeping, a screaming. In fact, in the story, we know that Pharaoh was terrified. He lost his son, and he says, go. He frees the people of God. You say, well, this, you're kind of over-dramatizing. And, and I was thinking about it. There is not an illustration I could do this morning in front of you that would over-dramatize. Is that a word? Dramatize? Thank you. Dramatize. That would over-dramatize this story. It is that real. And it really happened. We know that this happened in history. And so the people of God, the Israelites, uh, the Jews, the, the Passover, when they would look back at that single night, the people of God were encouraged to not forget what happened. Don't forget it. And so once a year, they would remind themselves of the deliverance of out of the bondage of slavery, out of Egypt. And they would celebrate. And it became the most important feast of the year. And they would teach their kids. And part of that is that once a year, no matter where the Israelites lived, they would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But before they made their pilgrimage, they were to pick out out of their cattle, out of their sheep, out of their lambs, they would pick a spotless lamb. Now, I don't know about you, but when you pick up a lamb and you introduce it to your kids and then you make a journey with that little lamb and they've, you know they've named that lamb and, uh, and you know, their kids are saying, Dad, why do we have to do this? And it says in Scripture that, that the, the father of the home would lean in or put their weight on the lamb. I don't know how to do this, but um, uh, Ed, let's say I've got a lamb here and I'm like leaning in, holding the lamb and they would when it was their turn and then ed help me out here you you're you're the priest okay i I don't want any blood on my hands but but you're the priest i would be holding the lamb and the priest would come along and slit the throat of the lamb and not get any blood on on me it's all on you and i'm thinking this is unbelievable story every year a family would have to do that thanks for helping yeah, right. It's crazy. 
And when I look at this story and I start to think about it, I'm thinking the kids are saying, no, Daddy, no, right? They're saying, no, that's my lamb. I've named him. But the lamb was a substitute, a reminder of what the Lord had done. And can you just imagine the smell? We're not talking a handful of lambs. We're talking tens of thousands of lambs that families would bring, lean in, the priest would slit the throat. It's so much blood that they would say that the Brook Kidron stream would run red for days. And they would do that once a year. And this was not the end, though. This was a picture of what was to come. And for those that understood, they were looking forward to a Savior. They're looking forward, and that's what our passage is about today. It was a foreshadowing. So Passover was a foreshadowing. And back to our story that we see Passover, it changed into the first communion. And so let's, let's kind of dig in. Jesus, he's at the last Passover meal that there ever was uh, for him and really for Christians. Christians moving forward. And in verse 25, uh, we, we see that kind of pick up in the story. Uh, we see that he says this will be the last time. And it's there that he fulfills the Passover by dying on the cross as a spotless lamb, the lamb of God. And again, let's pause here for a moment and not just hurry through this. Because this is the last meal that Jesus is going to have with his disciples before he's crucified. And it's a Passover, and so they're remembering back. But Jesus not only knows the past, he knows the future. And so just imagine yourself in Jesus' shoes. The emotions. What was Jesus feeling? Just in Mark chapter 14, 15, and 16, we see uh, just a variety of things happening to Jesus. Number one, we saw him being anointed at Bethany. And then he's betrayed in the upper room in our story. And then he's forsaken in the Garden of of, uh, Gethsemane, which we'll talk about next time. And then he's rejected with the high priest in the high priest palace. And then he's ultimately condemned in Pilate's hall. And we can read through that within, a, within you know, 10, 15 minutes, read two or three chapters of the Bible and think not, nothing of it. But Jesus lived those things. He felt all those emotions. And he was a real human being going through this. And it's with all of that in this, at this dinner party that it says that Jesus took the bread And, of course, the bread was remembering of them leaving Egypt in haste. And it was unleavened bread. It says there, uh, right in verse 12, it says, On the first day of unleavened bread, right, where they sacrificed the the, uh, Passover lamb. And so they know this. But Jesus says in verse 22, he says, Take, this is my body. And of course, Jesus is talking figuratively here, right? We see Jesus do that in other ways. He says, I am the vine, and we know Jesus is not a plant. He says, I am the door. We know he's not a piece of lumber. And so we understand it's figuratively speaking. And, but it, it's interesting that when you study communion and what's happening here, in 1 Corinthians, it says the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And again, it's a... Uh, it's a figuratively speaking, that participation there is the word koinonia or fellowship or communion where we get the idea of communion. And the idea there is that the bread, and then it says even the cup, the cup of, 
blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? These are symbols uh, and they're, that we do these together, participating, communing together. And so we know that the bread was a symbol of the body of Christ. And then it says he takes the cup. And in verse 23 and 24, it's, he says, this is my blood of the covenant. And so it goes back to the blood, blood shed. Remember what the Passover was. They, they've, already, um, uh, they've already slaughtered a lamb, and the, there's probably lamb at the table, and there would be for sure. And, but it's going back to the, the imagery and all that emotion. And now Jesus is saying, this is my blood. The cup symbolizing a new covenant of sorts. A covenant that Jesus would say, I will write the law on my heart and remember your sin no more. It's that kind of covenant. It's a type of covenant that allows us to call each other children of God. It's the type of covenant that allows access to the throne of grace. And all of that is in the cup. But again, it's the blood that covers the sin. And that's rooted in the Old Testament. It had, there had to be a blood sacrifice. Leviticus 17.11 says this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Again, it's blood that covers, that's the substitute. And I was thinking about this and just meditating on this idea, and it's, it really gripped me this week, that even on our best day, pick your best day where you didn't make any mistakes, you watched your language, you didn't yell at anybody, you did all your homework, uh, you maybe you had a great day at work and sold a bunch of things, or you, know, you sell Big Bertha and you know, whatever. Yeah, I, whatever your best day is, and maybe you, you know, served at church and you helped an old lady across the street. I don't know. You just, it piles up all your, all your righteousness. It's like, man, look how great of a day. You know what the Lord says on that day? All your righteousness is like filthy rags. It's worthless. It's only the blood of Jesus that covers your sin. Nothing but the blood. Not your, your, you can't be good enough. There's nothing you can do. It's only the blood of Jesus. So what's happening here in this story? Passover is now turning into communion, the first communion. The Old Testament is ratified with blood of the blood sacrifice. The new covenant is ratified with the blood of God's son, Jesus. Can I get an amen? The Old Testament, right? Once a year, they would celebrate Passover. And now, from that moment forward, the, the people of God, the uh, believers in Christ, as often as they would meet, they would remember what Jesus did for them on the cross. It became a pattern of the early church. It was one of the four things they did every time they met. They would receive at the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Holy Communion. As I close this morning, I'm asking Pastor Doug to come and to help me. We often pray in fact, I prayed before this service, and I don't know if you caught it, but I often will pray, Lord, let your power and your presence be here. Because I know 
as your pastor, what we need more than anything. You don't need a good sermon. You don't need uh, great worship. What you need is the power and the presence of Jesus in your life. Isn't that the truth? And out of that idea is that it's not preaching or the worship. Where do you find the power? Where do you find the presence of Jesus? You find it in communion, in the blood and in the body of Christ. It's in the sharing of the bread, sharing of the cup. And communion signifies our identification with Christ's death. When we partake, we're saying, hey, we're participating in that. And it publicly vows our faithfulness. It signifies the real gospel. And what it does, it brings us together. We're the body of Christ, right? Our fellowship deepens when we pass the cup. And we're not going to pass the cup this morning. You all have your own, but, uh, but you understand the idea, the analogy. We partake together. We do this in unity. What does communion do for us? In other scriptures, we won't take the time to look at it. It, it gives us an opportunity to take inventory of how we're doing. What does our life look like? It's an opportunity for you and I to repent, to acknowledge that we've been floundering. It also taps into the power of the gospel because I believe that in the blood, not only is there forgiveness of sin, but there's healing, atonement. There's hope that comes when we partake in the communion elements. I do believe it purifies the church. It will unify the church. And let's be real. We need that, don't we? We need the power of what communion represents. And so I want you to ask yourself two questions. Number one, are you right with God today? I'm not talking about, hey, I got saved at camp one, one summer, or, you know, I did that in my 20s, and now I'm 30, or I, I you know, I've, I've lived for God all my life, or I come to church, you know, right? Like we talked about last week, you know, by association, like you're a Christian by association. No. How are you with Jesus today? What's your relationship like this morning? How would you rate it? And the truth is, we've all been through this last week, and I'm sure we've all had some ups and downs. But if you need to get your life right with the Lord today, today's your day before we partake of the communion elements. We ask the Lord to forgive us, to make our hearts clean. There's not a there's no, there's no magic in it. It's really our faith and trust in Jesus and what we're remembering, the sacrifice, Jesus' blood shed for us, his body beaten and bruised, nailed to a cross for us. And if you need to get your life right with the Lord, I'm going to encourage you just in your own words, say, Lord, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me. The second question is, are you right with others? And really, what communion does, it provides an opportunity for the church to slow down. <laughs> and we're trying to take our time this morning. And to, just to acknowledge that, you know what? We're all sinners. And sinners are offensive to each other sometimes. 
Isn't that the truth? Something said, something's, you know, maybe even if it's just misunderstood or sometimes it's intentional. But before we partake, it's an opportunity to say, you know what? Uh, how are we doing? It, is there anything? In fact, there's another scripture that says if you have something against your brother, you leave your gift or leave your, your, your gift at the altar. You go make it right and before you would partake in communion, before you would continue. And so if there's something that's in between you and someone else, I would encourage you to make it right because this, there's a unifying effect to this. So we take inventory. We cry out to God, are you okay with God? Are you okay with others? And then we partake together. I'm going to ask that everyone stand and you can grab your communion elements. These are a little tricky, so let's just take uh, the opportunity to uh, get these things open. Uh, you, and they can rattle a little bit here while we're together. Uh, there's a little film on top. And once you've pulled that, then you can get the uh, representation of the body out. And then the next one, you want to be careful because um, I've actually spilled these before. Whoop. And uh, point it at your neighbor with a white shirt. And uh, that's how that works. No, just kidding. All right. Awesome. Awesome. The two questions were simple. Are you okay with God? Are you okay with others? Let's bow our hearts and just commit this time to the Lord. If you are away from the Lord, this is your time to just ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse my heart. Make it clean. Put my feet on a solid rock. And yeah, you may have served the Lord all the days of your life, but maybe you've had a tough week. Maybe you've made some mistakes. Saying, God, just purify my heart. I don't want anything between you and me. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Jesus. And the second thing is to make sure you're okay with others, to have clean accounts. And Lord, I just pray that to this morning, Lord, that there would be no disunity. Lord, there'd be no misunderstandings. Lord, that there would be just a, a, a love for one another as we partake together of these elements. Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Lord, mend relationships. Lord, I pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. And I mentioned one other thing, the healing atonement in the, in the blood. If you're here today and you need a touch from the Lord, I'm going to just pray for you as well before we partake. Lord, I pray as we receive these elements, I pray that your healing power would just flow through bodies. Lord, touch people from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. I pray that sickness would be gone supernaturally. And Lord, we can look back to this moment of your healing touch. Lord, I thank you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Now take the body, and you can kind of break it if you want, and uh, let's partake of that together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just in your own words, say thank you for your body, Lord. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for what it means. Think of what it, what it felt like for Jesus saying, this is my body all the emotion there. Lord, I pray that we would experience that this morning. We'd feel the weight of the truth that that's your body. And now, let's take of, partake of the cup together, representing the blood of Jesus.
worship team, you can join us as we'll close here in just a moment. But Lord, we just thank you for the blood that for, provides forgiveness. It provides healing atonement, healing of relationships, healing of our bodies physically, our emotions, our minds, and I would say even financially, healing provided. Lord, I thank you for your work on the cross, the blood that was shed. And Lord, now I pray that as we uh, close the service with a celebration song, thanking you for your sacrifice, remembering at this communion table, Lord, I pray that you would just capture our hearts one last time in this song. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Let's lift our hands. Thank you, Jesus. Begin to cry out. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Praise your name. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.